welcome to a very special, random, and potentially confusing episode of For Fintech's Sake. It's Wednesday, and it's Fintech with Lindsay and Zach. That's right. That's you me. don't get just me. It's Lindsay! Hi. Lindsay, who are you and what are you doing here? I'm Lindsay Davis. Hi, listeners. I'm head of markets at Atomic. We provide payroll APIs that are building new on-ramps to financial services for consumers. Boom. And we will actually explain in depth what that means throughout the coming weeks. And we're also going to do an episode with Lindsay herself, the legend, at some point as well. And soon you'll get to hear the sultry voices of... Jordan Hear that drum roll? That's yes. Exactly. Our That's how you know it's and coming. CEO and Zach. Jordan. Yeah. Well, the more exciting piece is Jordan. Jordan will be on soon. But Lindsay and I are going to start doing this weekly... I wouldn't call it a deep dive. If anything, I'd call it a, a dive into the kid's pool uh, on a weekly basis of fintech news and pulling it apart. I generally don't know what I'm talking about. Lindsay generally does. So we're going to get to learn more. We're going to riff off each other and we're going to learn together. Just like we're doing with this intro. And without further ado, let's get to the news. You ready for this? Born ready. Born ready. You actually were born ready. You're one of the people in the world that was, I, got, I could just catch you before your coffee, click go, and you would probably tell me about all this. So let's do it. Let's get weird. So we're covering three things today. We're going to talk a little bit about the gig economy, which is a buzzword as of three years now. We're going to talk a little bit about banking for woke folks, which is mainly clickbait that should hopefully piss some people off and hopefully get some people really interested. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the ubiquity of this cryptocurrency stuff that we keep hearing about and how the on-ramps just keep broadening. So let's start with this gig economy. And specifically, I like to, you know, start into these things with the corniest intro I can. The gig economy is gigging, Lindsay. And if yeah. you look at if you look at gigging on Urban Dictionary for our listeners, I would just like to define this before we get into it. Gigging is a slang term meaning to go stupid dumb on the dance floor, but I talked to sources who worked with Mac Dre, and when you start convulsing after popping E too much, it starts looking like you're dancing. So that was the Urban Dictionary definition of gigging. Not exactly what we're talking about, but suffice it to say that we're getting stupid. So let's start. I've been gigging, I've been gigging every day on that Peloton behind me. Don't, don't, don't fool yourself. When was the first time you heard the term gigging? Have you ever used it in a sentence previous to this? No, I have not. Okay. This is the first time, first time for everything podcast is what we're calling it. It's the, the news hour that no one would listen to gigging podcast. So everything is happening in the gig economy at a, at a high level. Like what's your take on it? Like what, what stage, if we had to give it like a, you know, nine inning kind of thing, like what inning do you think we're in, in terms of like financial technology being built for the gig economy? We're in early innings of the adoption. There's certainly been a ton of interesting companies that have been built in the space, but there's 57 million 
giggers. Like we don't even have a, a neobank that covers that that span of the population yet. So we're farly, vastly underserving this population. But there's incredible progress that's been made as a result of COVID nineteen. People had lost their livelihood. We've seen more platforms grow in traction and the ability to pick up a gig instead of feeling like you are your band to two types of work, you know, part time and full time. It's it's going to become less about gigging and it's just going to become about how people want to work and and work as they will. Um, and we've actually seen at, at Atomic where we cover payrolls and payroll APIs, we've seen incredible traffic from the gig platforms and, and they themselves are recognizing that there's a, a huge disparity in the financial services market and they're getting into it themselves. We've seen in the previous years Uber Lyft both have launched financial services products and they are thinking deeply about how do we how do we access wages in real time, which is a is a broader topic, but it also comes down to are these fully employed, you know, employees or the contractors. So I think that we do have, you know, a narrative that's that's growing in importance, but there's still more work to be done. What do you think? No, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I think one of the most interesting companies that I've stayed close to over the last few years is a company called Abound uh, that used mm-hmm. to be called Track.Tax. Uh, and for full transparency in my previous life, I was, I am not, but the bank that I worked for was an investor in Abound. And they seem to be just growing like absolute wildfire as a result of this. They've kind of pivoted from this B2C as everyone does. No one actually manifests themselves as B2C except for Chime, uh, you know, after their like third year of business. Uh, so they've transitioned to this kind of B2B to C thing where they're doing tax withholding through an API for all these different, you know, for the upworks of the world, yada, yada, yada. And they're just seeing crazy growth. And to your point about payroll, it seems like there's not the future does not exactly manifest itself as one W2. It seems like it seems like there's going to be it does not. many, many, many points of income. And we need to figure out how to balance those and not have it be so lumpy. And there are companies that are working on this. Gig wage is a great example of it. That's a thesis that we have at Atomic, which is if you get a source of employment and income data, you can better tailor your financial services and products. And it's going to lead to a lot less fast follow. And you're going to feel a lot less like fintech FOMO. Like, should I be launching a high yield savings or should I be launching a crypto account? Well, if my basic consumers are still radically, you know, underbanked and they don't have access to, you know, lower interest loan, we should not be going into that next. We should be using, you know, this data to inform our product roadmap. And debt is also on the agenda for today. So I'm sure we'll get back into that later. Yeah. And I mean, that plays into the the banking for woke folks that we were talking about as well. But before we get get to that, though, speaking of freelancers and speaking of this thing that we're doing right now, podcasting, there was a big announcement from this is our first actual piece of news. We led with like, this is a news show. You're going to get paid for what you do. I this great say that. service that you do for the community. Absolutely. I, w- I would say that I have the option to turn on monetization there. and all 12 people that listen to For Fintech Sake would officially stop listening. But so I don't think I'm going to do that. But never. We would never abandon you. <laughs> oh, you're one of the 12. That makes me feel so much better. Uh, I get a pre-release. <laughs> I am on the like the I'm on the small list of, of people that get, get some raw footage. Exactly wild. You are. You're you're one of my extra pair of eyes and also the make sure I don't say anything like a jackass that puts me in compliance trouble. You're you're the one, the one that I trust, Lindsay. The one that I trust. But anyway, this, this this podcast news is really interesting, right? I mean, it's nothing too groundbreaking. Basically, creators interested in offering subscriptions can log into Apple Podcast Connect, and I'm reading this, and enroll in new Apple Podcaster programs for an annual fee, right? So you get pay you pay Apple for the opportunity to get paid by your subscribers. 
but this isn't really anything new from my perspective, right? I mean, this is kind of Substack's doing versions of this. I was just as, thinking the same thing, Substack. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it comes to question, well, it comes down to like media organizations. Like those aren't the, the biggest podcasts. You've got standalone entities like Joe Rogan. So if they wanted to divorce their relationship with how media is consumed, you're going to join another platform that sort of decentralizes that. But at the same time, podcasts, as, as you know, are distributed across multiple platforms. So the model is interesting, I guess. How then do you think Spotify will counter this? You do have some paid subs. Paid creator content is great. But if I don't have an ability to lock down that that content creator, I'm just going to wait for them to go to another platform. Yeah. And what happens to to the ads in between, right? Like if I, I listen to, I think this is a podcast that a lot of people listen to, but I just listened to my first episode yesterday. Uh, it's called Smartless. Have you ever heard of this? I haven't. Okay. Uh, you being the, the nerd that you are, I, I didn't really assume you had. Uh, but yeah. it's Sean Hayes, who, do you know who that is? Just Jack from, uh, from excuse me, uh, Will and Grace. I, no. I did not realize he launched a podcast. So it's him, it's Will Arnett, and it's a couple other people. I'm horrible with ce- celebrities, but anyway, Jason, Bateman. Jason, Jason Bateman. Bateman. Hello. Yeah, I mean, come on. Sorry, I apologize. But I was listening to the a podcast they did yesterday with the head of content uh, and co CEO from Netflix, and it was about an hour and ten minute podcast. And I used to be annoyed by the Joe Rogan experience having the seven minutes or ten minutes or fifteen minutes of ads at the beginning, but I listened to this whole thing and it was interspersed with like seven different ads throughout the whole thing. And I was like, I don't even, it's an hour long and it's almost like a TV show or something. There's so many ads. So I'm curious about like, does monetization decrease? Do they, if they're going to make me pay for this thing, does it actually increase? Like, are they still going to take the ads? It's, it seems like it just changes the dynamic of the whole thing and maybe hopefully increases the quality of the content. Like it kind of mm-hmm. has with Rogan. I mean, now on Rogan with Spotify, you can at least fast forward through everything. But I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It kind of feels like they're taking this this free thing they were doing for the community that kind of built a flywheel and trying to trying to put a stake in the sand to monetize it. To some degree, but they're also trying to create creator freedoms. They've done this with the Apple Health product. They've created. A, they're trying basically to apply a monetization model, a sub-based model across their different products and services. They do this in gaming. It's really just. It's something that they're going to. They have to iterate on because it doesn't. It doesn't have a perfect one-to-one relationship in the in the podcast realm. But excited to see what happens with them. But what will happen post-COVID when we have you know consumers going back into the office that might be you know ingesting more podcasts, but the podcast creators that that, that cropped up during this time they don't have as much time anymore. You and I will have time because I we were we are fully remote, but <laughs> we will capitalize on that. But at the same time, you know, is there a big enough market for Apple? to differentiate this product such that they should continue to iterate on it, even as a massive you know, organization with a, a R&D budget that probably we couldn't even estimate at this point. You have to wonder, you know, is this saturating all the other existing products and services, especially after the big Apple launch and, and all of the, the hardware updates yesterday? Uh, yeah. We'll see. And if they yeah. get into podcasting, oh, gosh, I hope they make a mic, make a proper mic. Apple. <laughs> an Apple microphone that would be very expensive and I would Absolutely. buy it immediately. Yeah, of it's, course. A, it's a great idea actually. It's it's interesting to it's interesting to think about 
the the financing piece of it, right? Like the next piece of news that we wanted to talk about was this lyric financial announcement. Uh, there, of and again, I'll read just for the context of our uh, of our listeners. The lyric financial is a longtime leader in financial services in the music industry. They have announced a major milestone in its 14 year history by focusing on reliable, sustainable yada 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 yada. The company has funded over a hundred million dollars in advances. So I'm curious, how do these two things play together? How does the idea of basically a merchant cash advance play into some of the monetization pieces that are happening in Apple, that are happening at Spotify, that are happening at Substack? It seems like there's just this whole kind of like, let's finally pay people for the work they do that used to just be a, a blog post kind of thing. It's It seems like a new wave almost. There's a lot around the creator economy. It ties really well with the gig economy. Again, people lost their livelihoods, found new ways of, of creating. NFTs have opened up that market substantially. Instead of you know just creating fonts as a designer, I can go create art on the internet or I can release things and, and use NFTs as a way to fund them and to share them. For you know the lyric financials of the world, the music industry has been a laggard in business model evolution, the way yeah. that music and the way that, you know, artists have rights to their music is, it's been terribly, terribly antiquated. Um, and back to NFTs, if you look at what Snoop's been doing, he released his NFT properly titled track as an NFT, like two weeks ago, I was on a clubhouse and he was talking about it and we got to listen to it. It was pretty cool. And I am not traditionally, it was really, really atypical for me to be doing this, but pandemic. Friday night, you know, <laughs> that Snoop, whole Snoop, is the dog, Snoop is the dog father of fintech. <laughs> that whole sentence that just every bit of that sentence was like the most millennial fintech sentence I've heard in the year. Just he released his My NFT. Mother's worse. <laughs> Wait, t- t- what about your mother? <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it. But, you know, we were talking about a fintech company in the neobanking space. And she gave me a call. My mom's cute. She's trying to source for us at Atomic. And she, she was like, you should be working with that green company. I'm like, oh, Green Dot? And I'm like, no, mom, they already have partnership in place. She's like, no, no, the other one. I was like, Greenlight, you know, the kid bank. And I've got a younger sister. That makes some sense. She's got friends with young kids. And we have a, we have a, I have an niece. She has granddaughter. Like, no. The one that Killer Mike is backing. I'm like, oh, Greenwood? And it's a pre-launched fintech company. So for my mother to know something in advance of it reaching the media, and then more importantly, that she knows that it's a fintech neobank that I would work with. It means that she finally understands what I do. And it was a thrilling moment, but it took Killer Mike to bring the family together. That's a powerful moment. Did she refer to him as Killa or Killer? Did she do- Killa. Did she go Killa? No, she was like Killer Mike. Killer Mike. Yeah. That she, is... she was, she's like, I was like, it was on Bloomberg. I love it. Oh, that yeah. makes me so happy. Oh, this is beautiful. <laughs> Ubiquitous people. We're getting there. Fintech is becoming mainstream. Well, it, it, it really was endearing because she she cares very deeply about these these issues that, that Grim was tackling. You know, financial wealth disparity is a systemic problem in this country. And she saw that and she is she's savvy as well. She's a vulture capitalist, as we call her. She sees opportunity, but there's a huge gap in the market and that's, that's undeniable. And we need to do more to to help consumers. We just need to do more. There's not enough. We're we're making progress every day. We are. Yeah. And I love that you called her a vulture capitalist. And honestly, I just want to meet your mom now based on how well I know you. I think that's going to be a a fun glass of wine one day. Um, (laughs) 
But that's a beautiful transition into this. We're joking when we say banking for woke folks, but basically this whole world of banking, right, has existed for the most part to serve the you and me, right? It has existed to serve the, the white folks, the, the Henry's, the, the high Henriettes. earning, not, yeah, Hen- Henriettes, Henriettes, even. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, even in that space, when you think about the JP Morgan launch of Finn and then subsequent killing of it, <laughs> woke, fo- woke folks, but you know, who has hasn't woken up yet by the financial institutions. But it's, but Lindsay, it's a message but, we've preached. But but Lindsay, they're giving it the office. Like, come on now, they're they're putting <laughs> they're putting nominal amounts into these venture rounds once they're obviously successful companies that have at necessary. least one necessary yeah. necessary. Yeah. It's progress. But it, it, I take it you don't think it's quite enough. Of course not. We need to be, every single day, you need to be waking up. This is the most important thing we need to do. Get capital into the hands of those who have been systemically discriminated against, gender agnostic, you know, ethnicity agnostic, do the right thing. Like they're wholly unserved communities. And outside of COVID, I'm really interested to see what happens. I haven't, I've left New York one time and I was to go to Salt Lake City to meet, to meet Jordan and our CEO. <laughs> and I'm still smiling because it was such a thrilling trip. And I ended up staying for a month. I packed for a weekend and it, Salt Lake City is pretty magical. You and stayed so for a team. month? I didn't know I that. Stayed for a, I stayed for a month. The funny thing, well, I got there and I wanted to quarantine, do the right thing, take precautions. And then we just, you know, ended up having so many things that we were all just learning from each other. But this is, you know, for another conversation. The the point being that when we leave, you know, our safety bubbles, like I've been in New York, which has been pretty pretty wild in terms of the you hear the sirens still even now like it's not yep. over yet and though we've got vaccinations it you know getting dispersed in new york is, is pretty pretty far along in terms of getting people their first vaccination we have more to do so when people leave and they see what's happened to the rest of the country that we've been so detached from i yep. think they're going to see a really sad in a narrative where, where certain places we saw bank consolidation in the industry, those places become like food deserts. They become bank deserts. Yeah. I mean, bank, yeah. Bank deserts that like the, you see this thing, you see a mirage in the distance and you're like, is that a bank? Oh shit. No, that's a payday lender. Or at least in, in my experience in Kansas city, that's what it is. It's not a bank. That's desert. what's going, yeah. that's you. We're, we're laughing, but that is actually what's going to happen. If, if you don't have a local, it's what's happening. Bank, it is true. It is what's happening. It happens all the time. But if you put a bank five miles away from a, a consumer and the next thing is a, is a pawn shop, they're going to get a pawn shop loan. They're, yeah. It's a desperate community, and earned wage access has come. It's it's moving, but it's not moving fast enough. And states, oh gosh, I could do a whole podcast on state unemployment systems. They don't have APIs. You can't reverse engineer them. So you, you, and certain states have regulation where you have to push money over a pay card. And all this does is delay, you know, stimulus funds, delays, you know, unemployment to the people that need it the most. Back to the Greenwood news, though. With the MasterCard partnership, I think that there's 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 room here. Um, I just want to let you go on your soapbox, honestly. I just I, when Lindsay gets no, on her soapbox, I'm just like go soapbox. go no, go. It's not, it's not a soap. It's not a soapbox. I just I care very deeply about this. It's 
it's important. And no, that's why so, we, we so come much together. in a positive way. I don't mean soapbox in like a negative way. I need to I'll come up with a different term. Uh, uh, different an Amazon box. No, that's worse. I'll think of it. I don't know. I'll come up with something else. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. It's I grew up in KC in the, you know, payday lending center of the world. Right. If you watch that, uh, if you watch the Dirty Money show from the first season, like all of that happens in Kansas City and where I grew up, I could walk. I think it was probably about five blocks in each direction and for sure hit a payday lender in every direction on multiple blocks. But I think it was like, yeah, I'd be in the car to get to a bank. Like there was just nowhere near me where I could go even open a checking account. Like it was a big endeavor to venture outside of the neighborhood to go get that done. And that wasn't, I mean, I'm not that age anymore, but it's still the same. I drove over there the other day and it's like, there's more payday lenders, more check cashers now than there were. And there's sure as shit, no new banks. Yeah. hundred percent. New payday lenders. That's terrible. Well, I mean, it, it does make sense if you zoom out and think about, you know, the macroeconomic problem here. In 2019, there was 13 trillion of outstanding consumer debt across all of the categories, excluding mortgage, of course, is like student has gotten yeah. worse. At that time, yep. it was like 1.3. And now it's, it's close yep. to 1.7. Medical debt, another topic that we're going to dig into. Autos, it's like nearly 1.3 trillion. That is what causes people to, to get desperate and move into these these markets where they're going for wholly unoptimized products and services because they can't otherwise get them. And that's not okay. It's not okay. And it leads me to my next question. I'm really curious about your perspective on this. I, I think that there's this, I mean, you and I have talked about this before, but there's this kind of, you know, repackaging of, Repackaging of fintech ideas. Rebundling. Re- yeah, we've un- even- we've unbundled. <laughs> yeah, and now we're rebundling. Some, somewhat, favorite. somewhat rebundling, but this more so is like I, you know, I read the Greenwood press release. I take a look at what they're kind of running after, and granted, the press release was just like, "Hey, we partnered with Mastercard." But you read further down and you get into, you know, talking about, let's see, where where would be the best place to start? Customers can upgrade to a Greenwood premium membership. Mm-hmm. That already sounds like maybe another company that we've heard of that comes with exclusive metal Greenwood World Debit MasterCard. Cool. You get a cooler card uh, and services offerings, including identity fraud, blah, 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 insurance up to $1,000 per claim, price protection, all of these different things and it starts to sound more and more and more like a membership with access to an emergency loan which sounds a lot like money lion to me but maybe for a different demographic and like for, i don't know from your perspective how much of this is like taking taking things that have worked in the market for the henrys and saying oh shit there's not just white people in the world like let's actually provide financial services to the rest of the world like do you do you feel like there's kind of a one to one connection there do you think i'm being overly simplistic not being overly simplistic, I think when you partner with a big box institution like a MasterCard or a Visa, there are certain products and services that they can offer you. And so you're going to put that out into the market and say, yes, this is a broad swath, broadly our product roadmap. How you prioritize that is going to be driven fully and it should be driven fully by data. Now, today, most of that data comes from a bank account, which is too late in that consumer's life, especially if you're talking about you know, the demographics, like the Hispanics and the Black population and women even, don't make the same as our male counterparts. So we, as women and and black and Hispanic, 
people make less than the average white male. So we have less take home pay. So that's a problem. So paying off the same level of debt, potentially even more takes longer, which means higher interest, less take home pay. So the gap, the the financial gaps gets wider and wider and wider. And what happened during COVID? Well, they were unemployed, they couldn't get jobs, and they weren't paying off their debt. There's going to be a tsunami of problems coming for all demographics, but I think that you use your data in a in a way to tailor products and services, and you go out with this big announcement. Yes, we're going to look like we're offering all these things, but they're going to be very laser focused on using data to inform. Like, what does my consumer actually need? And we do have, you know, not just Greenwood. We also have one first Boulevard in the market. Yep. They look very similar in terms of you know targeting the demographic, but two out of how many financial institutions in this country. That's not, we could have 20 and that still wouldn't be enough, especially if we just think about the physical, you know, branch. Yes, we don't necessarily want to move challenger banks into branches, but there's needed, there's, there's services that are needed when you need in person. A pre, uh, we were blowing up and then coming back to life. I, I thought we bank would be a thing. Like it would be interesting to put a ATM because that was most of the reason why I never needed to go to, to a bank, branch was to get cash. And because in New York, that's how you pay. We used to pay at least most of your For drugs. You know, yeah, services. That's how, that's no, how you buy your, yeah. yeah, that's how you what? buy your weed. Yeah. Right. It just got legal. I think. Right. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is it legal in New York now? That sounds entire like shouldn't you all be focused on other things? Okay, all right. Well, but there, well cannabis banking has been a thing. Uh, when I yeah. built the reg tech market, I built the reg tech market back in 2016, and I, I put uh, fintechs on there. And the the, re- the head of the research team was like, "Is, is cannabis in the reg tech going to be a thing?" I was like, "Absolutely, man. There's going to be so much money laundering going on because no Visa and Mastercard won't process it. They can't process the payment, and it's a huge market that, that the likes of Marketo would be super interested in going after, but they can't because of you know the state restrictions around it. And these are wholly unbanked." to actual populations, cash heavy economies or several that we could go into We've talked about offline. But yeah. it, it, again, it's just about thinking about the size and the scope of the problem and, and why did these things exist and, and removing the artificial barriers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, accepting the world for what it is and actually like, you know, building regulation around that and building on ramps as a result. I feel like the, the biggest benefit has been like to Netflix, like Ozark has received more benefit out of all of this than anybody just because people are curious about money laundering. So they watch the show or something. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. They should talk to Charlie Dellingpool over at Comply Advantage and, or listen I, to your podcast with him when that comes out. Exactly. He's, hey, he's, good plug. You're welcome. I, I'm, I'm dying to listen to it. I always get an obscure you know, money laundering tip out of anything that he says, like Somalian, you know, drug cartels. I can't wait for his take on NFTs and potential like ICO 2.0. This he and I talk about. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, more to come, obviously. I don't think yeah. it's all fraud, but if it's that easy, then we're not doing proper AML KYC, which means that we're not going to be able to move these things 
into the realm of what is regulated today fully. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. It's, it's funny. I mean, getting to know Charlie a little bit, I'm like, thank God he's, he's solving the problem. Uh, because if he wanted to go the other direction and be part of the problem, I think he'd be yeah. damn good at it. <laughs> that man could launder some money if he wanted to thank the, thank the good, whatever you pray to that he is, uh, he is on our side, saving us from money laundering. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> modern day superhero. Modern day superhero indeed. Just sitting in a chair somewhere in London with some some uh some dumbbells sitting next to him. So all of this though, the the, the question that I think I have for you is like obviously the heart is in the right place with all of this, right? Like I think you and I both agree. I, I've been friends with Donald, the founder of uh founder of First Boulevard for a while. Actually the early days of First Boulevard came as a result of I, I used to live in an apartment in Kansas City and right outside of my window is where all of the the recently uh, closed yeah. case about Derek Chauvin, um, all the protests were happening about that. And we just kind of had this moment where like, dude, you got to solve this. Like I, you know, I'm a six foot three white male. I grew up in a black neighborhood, but like, I ain't going to solve this. Like Donald, you know, FinTech go solve this. And not that it, not that the company was my idea. I was just like, poke go. Um, so you I think were we champion. all, you were an early champion and I, it's incredibly challenging and difficult to start a business. I mean, it is, it's very hard. And especially to when be, you're to Donald. be a proponent to be a proponent of that yeah yeah and he's I, already I don't know got Donald like, very well but he's done he's done a really good uh, clubhouse that i hopped on yeah uh, yeah and part of me is like donald get off clubhouse and go build your business but yes um we, we won't he's raising awareness it's a it's a different you're engaging with your audience when you can't physically meet them it's it's a different it's a different style of things i've been pretty impressed with what's been going on in student debt and clubhouse like there's just a lot of that, knowledge sharing and, that's and true. Back, back to the question of like how will greenwood how will first boulevard differentiate its content it is education it is speaking to the community in their language beat them on their terms and we we have a really cool partnership coming out on this uh, for, for the latinx community but you have to understand that consumer and you have to live walk a mile walk 20 miles in their shoes and yeah That's- and that that actually so our last piece of news that we were going to cover i think like wraps really well into this which is actually the the ubiquity of cryptocurrency and venmo giving the ability to buy i think it was and i told you this earlier i'm still i'm still upset about it i'm not sleeping until this is solved but at this point venmo is allowing for purchasing of bitcoin ethereum litecoin and bitcoin and bitcoin cash uh on their platform no dogecoin i will be writing a complaint letter that dogecoin is not on venmo i'm very upset Why? but, Why we, are you but upset? we persist because the meme currencies deserve a place too now i don't give a shit i just think it's hilarious if doge had been on there too that would just say a lot about the world um but my, my question my question is how all of these companies are talking about financial health, talking about financial education through the lens of financial health. From my point of view, that is the hardest problem to solve. Right. Yeah. Like we can you can build the app, you can build the technology. And like you just said, like you have to meet them where they live. But how do you meet someone where they live inside of Venmo? And because one of the pieces of the Venmo press release was that they're going to educate their user base about what it is, if they you know how they should think about buying some of it, investing in it. Should they use it as a purchase utility, whatever? How, do you think this is possible is my question. Like is financial 
health something that we can actually teach? And if so, can we teach it inside of an app? Bah. We can't fix it for 100% of the population. It's like, you know, your TAN is X billion dollars. 100% is totally not reasonable. Sure, sure, can, sure, sure. But you can make progress towards it. I don't know how Venmo will go about educating their, their consumer base, but it just starts with listening to them. They clearly added this product to the product roadmap because of demand from their consumer bases. The things that they can do to educate their consumers and their bases just start with where is their friction for them to start to use it? I mean, the, the blockchain becomes stronger as more people are on the network. So they need to find ways like projects to educate people in, in real life applications. It's sort of like the mock portfolios that you can, you can trade on when you're learning how to use a Bloomberg terminal. The yeah. ways in which you're not doing a you know financial disservice to yourself or you're blowing yourself up with options, you're creating, you know, a way of, you know, doing a mock portfolio, but letting people visualize it. You see it across industries, the same with even, broadly just graphic design and the way that you could decorate your home in VR things that you can do to get more creative think you know where again meet your consumer I wish they were in VR because a couple of us at the company have VR sets and, and we're having fun at spatial and Beat Saber but that's not where consumers are going to consume financial content Fidelity tried to do this they try they have I don't know how far along they are but two or two years ago they had lo- launched a, a platform to, to look at all of the markets and it looked really cool and I just thought you know, that's too simple. I don't want to be in an office when I'm doing that. I want to be in Tahiti, like make the virtual experience an actual experience. And I think that the world of NFTs can bring that to cryptocurrencies. You know, the adoption rate has been phenomenal. I think I've heard over a hundred million people roughly have engaged with the NFT economy that it took it took Bitcoin or cryptocurrency like 10 years to get there. So from 100 to 200 million, assuming that would be unique, there are people that want to engage with this. And with an NFT, you can attach an experience like a VR. So you, you buy you know an NBA top shot, you can see the card and you can engage with it. Like that's what's really missing in financial services. Like a piece of flat content that gets stale isn't interesting. You need to make it realistic and tailor in some way like it's impossible to know you know how do you tailor this 100 percent of the time like oh it's your numbers your portfolio when i show you you know a simulated experience but there are ways that consumers will engage and there's clearly a hunger if you just look at account openings from fintech apps during the pandemic or boredom so the nft thing and our goal of this was to keep it short so we'll try and do that at least even though you and i can't talk for less than an hour most times um the nft thing i think is a very ethereal thing for a lot of people i mean even for me like non-fungible token i know what it stands for i have a sense of what it is i know i can go buy jack dorsey's first tweet but like what what does this actually mean for the average American, right? Because one of the other things that I really struggle with in a lot of these situations is like, great, you gave me an on-ramp to cryptocurrency. I'm still in debt, you know, not speaking for me, but speaking for the average American, like should it, does any of this shit matter is my question. Right? Of course if, it if, matters. Of well, course it, it matters. matters. It matters. But when you think about the number of what's people the in impact? debt, yeah, let's what's, just do yeah, that. Like what's, that's, what's the that's, impact? That's the better, that's the better, less sassy way of asking the question, which of course you went with and I didn't. Uh, but yeah, wh- what, what is, what is the impact? How does this, how does hey, this help the average American? Break the problem up into, into the parts and 
so if we're thinking about the black, the unbanked community, NFTs create wealth. They give you an on-ramp to access wealth and to monetize their own goods in a Snoop Dogg scenario where he's putting his, his NFT and he's allowing his his fans to be the people to invest in it, not get, you know, the music industry the right to own all of the royalties. It's a it's a scenario where a community that has not had access to their, you know, basically their livelihood to engage with their fans in a real way for the creator economy. NFTs unlock a new platform for them to create things again, back to the font example where it's a consumer graphic designer works day to day on projects that are, you know, whatever it is related to a DTC company or an agency in the NFT world, they can put out whatever they want. They can be artists and they can share, right? They can they can cross collaborate with ideas. And as a user, again, for the financial education standpoint, it's a way to engage with your asset. Like I looked at them personally. I haven't gone you know full into them yet because I'd have to liquidate Ethereum and I was investing in 20, 2016. So I'm not there yet. Just from like the do I want to buy new Ethereum and and that's a personal investment problem. But a way to educate me would be let me see the asset. Let me and they they do let you and get into an NBA top shot. I'm just not as fast fingered as I used to be in the class pass days. But things like that, those are those are those are what matter. Again, where we talk about the, the financial literacy gap, we talk about the unbanked populations of this country, and then we talk about you know new economies like the creators, like new livelihoods and, and pieces of employment. That's that's where this stuff becomes really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a you make it sound like a, a digital bootstrap by which one can pull oneself up, right? Like that's kind of the 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 if I can do this and put it out into the world, then someone can then pay me for it, and all of a sudden I have a business and I'm moving and and I'm creating value for the world. It's it, it's, like it, internet it two dot, it's internet two dot in that scenario. Yeah. It's like this is it creates access in a, in a way, and it, the coolest thing I think really is that we are, we are not even a fraction of the way of realizing its potential. Yeah. It's going to unlock things that we haven't even thought about yet. Um, once we get out of our our bubbles of lockdown and we see like the new problems, that's that's really what what's going to be cool. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. At some point, I'm gonna I'm gonna have an NFT of my my face pre beard, and I can't wait for every my girlfriend's gonna buy it because she misses that. Um, that's our horrible joke to end this. Uh, any last thoughts from you, Lindsay, before we hop off? I, I am we- just very excited to see where the next episode of this podcast goes if it, if it happens. Oh, it's it's going to happen. It's I mean, this happen. is this is attempt number 1. We'll see how it lands. We'll see how our, you know, those those well, I guess it's only 11 listeners now since you're on the podcast with me. Uh we'll see what they think and I think we covered some news. We'd love to hear your feedback. I mean, if we if we should go deeper on one thing, tell us if we should keep this level of randomness going, tell us. Uh either way, we're going to keep doing this weekly and have fun just because Lindsay and I like talking to each other. So yeah, boom. Boom. I love it. (laughs) Stay woke.